Welcome to this episode of Last Past the Post, where we deconstruct political ideologies, party platforms, and current events. This week, we'll be talking about the concept of political promises, why they are made, when they are broken, and how they are used to manipulate the voters. So for most part, I think political promises are understood by the general public as, you know, this politician sort of on TV saying that he'll do this and he'll do that when he's voted in or when she's voted in, whatever. And those are the kind of statements that really rile up the voters. You know, we have single issue voters who, when they hear, for example, climate change, when we hear a candidate is going to be really pushing for a climate change initiative, a lot of young voters will sort of rally behind that. Then we have other groups who perhaps believe strongly in the issue of the right to choose or the whole issue of abortion. And wherever they stand, they'll rally behind the candidate that represents their ideas or their values. Politicians typically promise a lot of things, and that definitely gets people riled up. But I think a lot of people forget that a lot of their promises are not even said out loud. A lot of them are, you know, especially the more boring ones in regards to taxation and just fiddling with numbers like that are just going to be included, like, hidden somewhere on their website in their party platforms. So the party platform is basically a collective of all the promises that a party would keep, supposedly. But they're not always equal, because you know, even though like the platform is what sets the policy goals for the term, the specific party promises or political promise is what really attracts voters. It's like the sexy thing <laughs> of politics. Oh, yeah. It's definitely the main goal of party platform is to get voters on their, t- on their side, right? Yeah. Um, and I-, I feel like because that's like the star of the show for that term or that election, um, people put a lot of weight behind it. Maybe it feels a little bit reactionary. A lot of people vote with their feelings, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, I'm not sure they're as much of a star as they used to be. I mean, for example, more and more with, say, you know, Donald Trump or Doug Ford here in Canada, we've been seeing candidates win elections without even having much of a platform to begin with, except for the fact that they're not the other guy. So then do promises really even matter? Traditionally, they always have. And... A lot of the time, like, even if they didn't have a dedicated platform, for example, Doug Ford's whole thing was, he called it a buck a beer where he would bring down alcohol prices. Like, he still had some promises, even though there wasn't a coherent document or any sort of, like, defined legislation he would really do. Yeah, and, like, he ended up not not keeping the buck a beer promise. It was pretty much his only one. (laughs) Yeah, and he Um, still didn't keep it. So Doug Ford officially kept 0% of his promises. (laughs) Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, a lot of people actually do a pretty good job when it comes to keeping their promises. I think Obama, for example, kept about half of them, like 47%, according to PolitiFact, and compromised on another 27 So, like, that's less than a quarter that was completely broken, according to them. And Trudeau's first term even had a better result than that. It was two-thirds of his promises that were kept, and an additional 26% that were uh, partially kept. Those are pretty decent numbers, all things considered. Although, we have to keep in mind that that's just, like, the number of promises, not exactly the scope. For example, you know, raising or lowering a tax number by a few percent is going to count as one promise. But so will ending first past the post as, like, our electoral system, which would be a massive change, which was an, one more promise that wasn't broken. Right. Um, that would essentially give you a 50-50 on that. Yeah, but I feel like that's why political promises are seen as like reactionary or emotional or something like shady, just something shady about it. Because when a promise is broken, like depending on the scope of it, right, like 
Doug Ford's Buck of Beer. We don't have it. Not a really big deal because let's be honest, like it wasn't like it was going to be revolutionary. It wasn't like it was going to be good beer. But Trudeau not keeping first past the post, that's a huge stain on his credibility, like his character. What the Liberal Party now to me, even though I was never a big fan of them, seem even more sinister. I mean, exactly. I think the reason for that is because a lot of, you know, single issue voters went with the Liberal Party for his first term specifically because of that promise. Whereas for Doug Ford, for example, I don't think that people were voting for him in droves because of the whole buck of beer thing. People were definitely happy with it, but it didn't bring anybody to the polls to vote for him that wouldn't have already. In his case, I think it was more a question of he's not Kathleen Wynne and therefore he was going to win regardless. Certain promises are definitely more important than others. So why don't promises get kept? Trudeau and the Liberal Party knew that first past the post was a big hot topic. So big that our podcast is basically a homage to it, right? So why not keep that promise and make voters happy? Well, there are a few different reasons why promises aren't really kept. A lot of them are not even very shady at all. They're pretty much just what you would expect from politics on you know regular everyday business. Like there's obstructionism, like if there's a minority government... Or in the U.S., if they don't have a supermajority, the opposing party can just block legislation a lot, be contrarian on purpose, and that'll just stall the process and stop promises from happening. You kind of need a massive majority to really get your full agenda through. I wonder, too. I mean, with the idea of, like, contrarianism, sure, the opposing party doesn't really want to see the ruling party succeed. Obviously, they want to win next term. But if it's for the good of the country as a whole... Why would they choose to obstruct that? Well, it's a lot of people are calling it choosing your party over your country, uh, because that's essentially what it is. Look in the U.S., for example. Mitch McConnell recently promised that he would oppose anything that Biden puts in front of him. You can't really compromise with that. Typically, you know, the idea was to have opposition parties sort of compromise to find a solution everybody would be happy with. And to an extent, that's still what happens in Canada uh, with minority governments. I mean, we haven't fallen into another election since... uh, Trudeau got elected with a minority, you know, knock on wood. But in the U.S., it seems to have definitely turned more towards the obstructionism because winning elections has become, in many ways, more important to a lot of people than actually pushing the country forward. That's just not a functional government, in my humble opinion. (laughs) It's kind of the way it's been going, right? Uh, I'm not sure if we'd call the U.S. system very stable or functional right now. Yeah. I think there's still a bit of hope for us left. I mean, it's funny because, like, Republican parties want a small government. So then they sort of shit on the government while being in the government. It's, you know, impeding progress by being a part of the the, the actual, like, structure or institution or whatever. So, look, why have voters allowed this is what I'm thinking. A lot of conservative parties are going to be talking about how, you know, the private market is good and how the government tends to be inefficient. And their answer to that is to get into power and then cut the government, cut things like healthcare funding, like school funding, because they're inefficient. But at the same time, that sort of makes them more inefficient. So it's kind of a winning strategy for them, actually. Hmm. It kind of proves their own point. Uh, yeah, it's like self-refuting. So, of course, they're going to be very popular on that front, especially with people that want to pay fewer taxes. But going back to the idea of political promises, obstructionism and compromise is obviously one reason they don't get followed through on, probably the most innocent reason. And another innocent reason would be just unforeseen events. Stuff happens. For example, COVID-19, like, people didn't really see that coming when they were running for election a few years prior. I mean, I know for sure Doug Ford wasn't planning on having to manage the province during a global pandemic. I don't think he would have ran if he knew in advance. 
you know, other stuff like Brexit, for example, changed the political landscape uh, in Europe and around the world just overnight. So all of the foreign affairs policies and all that sort of stuff had to change. And there are plenty of other like justifiable reasons why one would have to pivot because stuff happens. Yeah. So I feel like for those reasons, no one's really to blame or anything. But so when is it the case that a broken political promise really receives big backlash? Well, like, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, it's when they were lying. <laughs> I know yeah, it's like, you know, why do they lie? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a classic, oh, you know, politicians lie. And I mean, there's some sort of truth in that for sure. There are a few reasons why they lie. For example, let's go back to the end of First Past the Post. Like, I don't think Trudeau ever really intended to follow through on that. It was a way to gain votes from the NDP. And if you look at it, though, like, First Past the Post is actually super great for the Liberal Party. Because of strategic voting, people will vote for them just to beat out the Conservatives, even if normally they would prefer the policies of, say, the NDP or the Green Party or even the Bloc Québécois. And so if they got rid of First Past the Post, the Liberals would be shooting themselves in the foot. If you look at like the proportion of the vote, they would have had a minority for the first term and Trudeau would have gotten, he would have lost actually the second election by a single seat to uh, Andrew Scheer. So clearly if that's favoring them, they're not going to get rid of that system, no matter what they say they'll do. It's also very resigned. <laughs> you know, like NDP voters, I, I hear a lot of people say, I would vote NDP if it was possible for them to win. And the thing is, NDP voters, again, are like, oh, at the very least, Trudeau promised an end to the first past the post. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go vote for him instead. And then when he doesn't enact it, they're suddenly all shocked. Like, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, the Conservative Party itself sort of struggled with the issue of strategic voting. And what they decided to do was, well, form the Conservative Party. They used to be two separate ones. But by merging together, you sort of eliminate that problem. And so a lot of people say that first past the post sort of pushes different countries to adopt a two-party system. And honestly, like, if the liberals weren't as centrist as they are, I could definitely have seen them merge with the NDP. And a lot of people think they should, even though there are unreconcilable differences there, um, just to compete, essentially, and lock the conservatives out of power. So I don't see the conservatives or the liberals ever getting rid of first past the post, because both of them benefit strongly from it and all the minor parties that would gain an advantage if it were overturned won't get in power under first past the post i know but it's like it's just so upsetting to me because sure we don't want the other party to be in power or whatever but it's shooting ourselves in the foot it's, it's shooting the ndp the greens the Bloc Québécois, whatever other party in the foot when we have to compromise oh for sure and I, i'd argue to the people in power that's kind of the point once again, it's a matter of, you know, party over country in that sense. But we've been talking about the first past the post a lot. And that's not the only major promise that was broken by the Trudeau administration. For a second term especially, I think a big one that has people talking right now is the whole pharmacare business. Because the liberal government promised pharmacare as part of their platform. And when the NDPs proposed it using very similar language to what we have for our existing universal health care, it was shot down. And I don't think that the Trudeau government has any intention of following through on that if they ever did. And hell, during a pandemic, I would have expected it to be more prominent now more than ever. I just I think it's very interesting that most of the political promises that are sort of radical or sort of shining when it comes to the Liberal Party are NDP platforms. Like clearly Canadians want things like UBI and pharmacare and et cetera, et cetera. And desperately so to the point that they're going to vote for the Liberal Party who is neoliberal and very likely not to enact it just for like the hope that they will without 
taking power away from the quote unquote leftist government to prevent the conservatives from getting in here. It's just, it's just sad. You talk about UBI. During the liberal convention, there was a lot of talk about including UBI in the platform. And I feel like it's going to be pharmacare all over again, in the sense that a neoliberal government like the Liberal Party is not going to follow through on that because their whole ideology is about helping out the private sector over the public one. And it wouldn't make any sense for them to follow through on that kind of promise. And yet they'll do it anyways, because it steals voters from more left wing parties like the NDP and the Greens. And it doesn't lose them any conservative votes because they weren't going to vote for them in the first place. It's a great strategy, honestly. I can't really fault them for that, except on the ethical level. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a very good strategy to have sort of this radical idea and say, hey, us as a big party will implement it. Consider that. And then, well, when it's actually time when push comes to shove, surprise, surprise, they don't. Just like when Joe Biden promised that stimulus bill of like $1,800, right? And then just kind of went down and down. <laughs> as it. Yeah, he walked it back a lot. Uh, became a thousand two hundred, and then like not everybody was entitled to it, like originally he had promised, etc. Kind of like Serb was over here, I guess, to an extent. So like long term, though, you know, lying to your uh, constituents is going to have a drawback, right? You can't just keep doing that forever. People are going to realize that you're not following through on this kind of stuff. Long term, I don't think that it's viable, which is why we don't typically see somebody with more than like two or three terms and i think a lot of people have just given up on politics in the first place because oh you know they're all the same and they all lie and they all promise all these things and never follow up on them i agree with your point on not seeing a prime minister for more than two or three terms because it gets like stagnant right it just kind of keeps on going the way it is the way it had always been and then after a while people are, are, are sick of it they're like well you've broken a bunch of promises nothing's changed and at that point like 12 years later, people finally get riled up enough to hope for change. And that's when like a shining star of a promise of abolishing first past the post is enough to convince people to vote. Even if people aren't so easily fooled or naive, just the potential is enough to flip to the other side. And the party knows that. So they don't actually need to keep this promise. It was made with the intention of never keeping it. Mm -hmm. And people typically get burnt out on that a lot. And well, in, in the best case scenario, honestly, because we've seen a lot of other cases too, where like promises that weren't followed through caused massive protests or even riots in some places. So they have to be really careful about what they can get away with and what they can't get away with when they talk about these different promises. Right. Because you can only flip flop for so long and then eventually people want extreme radical changes. And that's when we get things like for the Americans, the far left, which is Bernie, and then we get the far right, which is Trump. Yeah, like people are tired of, you know, political insiders, quote unquote, that keep lying. And so they want to get rid of the old, you know, like anyone who's radical enough will have a fighting chance. That's why Canada, we have our own extreme right party, Maxime Bernier and his little group of whatever they are. Yeah, they haven't been as popular, thankfully, in Canada yet. And I don't think Bernier's party ever will be. Once again, first past the post sort of stops any small party from having a shot at power. But I think we're seeing more of an extreme voice within certain political parties like the conservative one and in the NDP to an extent as well. Arguably, it's shifted much further left than when Malkair was in power. I feel like that's something we kind of see as a result of in younger voters. Just from what I've seen, I feel like people, younger voters who are interested in politics tend to err far more to the right or far more to the left you'll, you'll never have 
or not never, but it's unlikely to see like a millennial or a Gen Z person go, yeah, I'm a I'm a proud neoliberal. I love Justin Trudeau. No, they're they're usually like, oh, I'm gonna vote for the NDP. I'm gonna vote for the Green Party, or I'm kind of a uh, alt righty. I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for uh, Bernie. You know? Yeah, they might not say that in polls, but no. When it, when push comes to shove, a lot of them have voted more right wing. Absolutely. Not even like maliciously, just because they think the conservatives. I, I've seen people say, yeah, Doug Ford, he's just another liberal. Obviously not, but neoliberalism sort of does blur the lines together. Yeah, it's pretty much the one political system that exists in North America right now. But interestingly enough, despite the fact that both parties are neoliberal, both of them have uh, a lot of differences when it comes to promises that they make. Again, those on the right tend to promise lower taxes a lot and cutting certain services. The liberals tend to promise stuff that is a lot more leftist to their actual position. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, like, how do you know which promises are actually legit and which ones they're not even intending on following through with? Well, we have to be informed, right? Because every party right. has existed for a while. They have a history. If they're known for backtracking on issues, we can notice a pattern, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I've heard it before, you know, a lot of people say that the liberals tend to campaign on the left and then they govern to the right. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much what we were talking about, you know, they'll talk about pharmacare and perhaps even UBI. And then when they actually start governing, oh, sure, they'll legalize weed, but that's about as left as they'll go. Yeah, that's why knowing party ideologies help, right? Because we know the liberals and the conservatives both benefit, being the major parties, both benefit from first past the post. So when they promise to get rid of it, a little bit of critical thinking goes a long way in understanding that abolishing it would not help either of them. So don't believe right. them. <laughs> don't believe them. Yeah, like if the NDP says that they'll get rid of first past the post or like the Green Party says that, I would have you know no trouble believing them because if they won an election on some sort of fluke, which is unlikely to happen again, then it is by far in their best interest to eliminate the system while they still can so that in the next election they have a better shot at staying in power. But the conservatives and liberals, for example, I, I wouldn't see that happening. We can also think, is the promise plausible? For example, you have a lot of precise numbers, right? Like raising the GDP a specific amount or reaching climate goals within an X amount of time. Are these targets realistic? And how much control does the leader have over that? Yeah, like we've seen Trudeau, for example, you know, join the uh, Paris Climate Accord, which is a list of targets to reach for fighting back against climate change. Uh, There's no penalty to not meeting them. And we are way behind on that goal. Like we've been behind on every single other sort of climate agreement we've had. So like, is it something that we should take seriously when they say, oh, you know, we will lower carbon emissions uh, by X amount by 2030 or what have you? Like if they've never done it before, I don't see them reaching those numbers And in regards to like the GDP stuff, I mean, you know, sure, the government has a lot of effect on the gross domestic product of a country. But at the end of the day, there are so many other variables that like, I feel like that's kind of a bit of a puff piece where, you know, it's not that they don't expect to follow through on them. It's just that there's not much they can do about it. It's like wishful thinking, really. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of like balancing the budget. You know, Trudeau said that he would run a deficit for three years to revitalize the economy and then balance the books. And of course that never happened. And I don't think that it was a realistic promise in the first place. So keeping those tips in mind, with a minority government, we could have an election pretty much at any time. Typically, I think the average for a minority government in Canada is like two years-ish. And we've kind of been past that already. I know people have been talking about trying to avoid an election during a pandemic, especially. So we might get the full term out of it, but we might not. 
you know, it's good to keep in mind that when you see a political promise, you need to really think about it. Is it plausible? Does it go against the party's ideology? Or does it actually help or hurt them? Because keeping those in mind, I think, is going to be the best way to make a good decision when it comes to the ballot box. Thanks for listening to this episode of Last Past the Post. Join us next week as we discuss billionaires, how they acquired their wealth, how they've maintained it, and whether or not it is ethical. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at Last Pass Podcast. We'll see you next time.